this is Phil Brubaker. I'm the co-host, along with my companion. Andrew Warner, that's me. Here I am. He's there, and we're going to talk about uh, a new film. Uh, in the queue is uh, the new name for Albatross Applesauce, which is our uh, radio program. Uh, if you want to visit us on our blog, our blog URL is www.in-the-q.com. That's the yep. letter Q. And we also have a Facebook page. Just look up In the Q. Q-U-E-U-E is the way yep, that that's yep. spelled on the Facebook page. So we're doing sort of some Oscar coverage right now. Uh, we're just reviewing new films for the time being. Specifically the Best Picture nominees exactly. uh, at this year's Oscar Awards. And um, yes, we've done several of them right now up until this point. Today we're going to talk about a new film, a British film, by director Stephen Frears called mm -hmm. yep. Philomena. Philomena. Philomena is about an elderly woman named Philomena who enlists the help of a journalist to discover what happened to a son that Philomena had 50 years ago after he was he was sort of forcibly given up uh, for adoption uh, yes. because she was she was a nun at the time or she was in a convent and she was forced by the nuns to give up her child so Philomena enlists this world-weary sort of journalist to try and go on this quest to find her son so it's a simple sort of search story um, yes. and it yields some sparkling dialogue along the way and some it's also sort of a comedy too so it's it's a very interesting uh tonally uh in terms of the way it shifts from tragic to comic but um andrew what are your impressions of uh of the film philomena well i liked philomena i didn't love philomena oh okay <laughs> uh, I think that it's I think it's a, a charming movie. I think the performances are the most standout element of the film. Uh, Judy Dench, especially, who is nominated for an Academy Award for Best Actress. Mm -hmm. uh, Steve Coogan is no slouch, though, and does an excellent job in this film. I think it's a very sort of nuanced uh, performance by someone who is more known for his comedic performances. Indeed, um, a little bit a little bit broader, although you know. Broad in the English sense is uh, well. Still pretty I mean, dry. I was gonna. Yeah, it's still pretty dry. Although you can get broad in in the uh, Benny Hill slash Mr. Bean kind of sense, which Philomena <laughs> never quite reaches. Which it never. <laughs> no, no, of course not. It doesn't go anywhere near that. Um, this is more. Uh, it's an interesting. It's an interesting film because it's it's trying to shed light on this sort of tragic story uh that happened to many many people uh where the the convents were basically kidnapping not kidnapping but uh taking young women's children away from them and then selling them to americans mm -hmm. and this is based, in order to make a profit this is a, uh, based on a true story as well based on a true story specific incident yeah exactly exactly and uh and this was like a, a apparently a widespread practice uh Essentially, the the people within the 
church or within these particular church organizations were using the sort of Catholic guilt uh, and convincing these women that their sin was so great that they had no right to their babies. They had no right to any knowledge about their babies or anything like that. And so the, the film sort of goes through a, a series of confounding and frustrating for the audience twists and turns uh, in trying to figure out what's going on, you know, or what happened to Philomena's child. Mm -hmm. um, many sort of frustrating uh, moments where the 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 sort of right self righteousness of the of the of the people within the church is is really kind of the enemy of the the it's kind of the antagonist of the film. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I, I found it to be a fascinating, factually a very fascinating film. And I found it to be, as I said, very well performed. I just didn't find myself being like so pulled into it and so drawn into it. I, I, it, it was an entertaining adventure. It was an entertaining film, but, uh, the fact that it's nominated for Best Picture is confusing to me. Yeah. I, I, I honestly don't understand. I don't think that it has any of the elements. Even though I like Stephen Frears very much, I think he's an excellent director. Um, I do not think that this is one of his finer efforts. Uh, it, it's just, it, it's very vanilla. It's very bland to me. I think that it's, for me, I would have liked it, I think, more if there was a little bit more mining of the situations for, for more comic potential personally. Yeah, um, it starts off at the very beginning, like really funny. I think when, when the, the journalist is yeah. having an, uh, an examination by a doctor and it sort of seemed to set a tone that this is going to be uh, a humorous sort of British humor type, dry sort of uh, comedy. And, it gets tragic too, and there's no reason why it can't get tragic. But the the tone of the film is kind of like a, a middling sort of um, gray area between comic and dramatic. I feel um, it's sort of yeah, like it I, never quite sort of commits from one to the other. And yeah, and I'm not I'm not sure that it it I'm not sure that it's it's their responsibility to commit one way or the other. But I think that it was like it it sort of felt trapped between two worlds. And so like, it was never really hilarious, but it was also never really deeply moving either for me. Yeah. No, I think I would uh, definitely understand your position on that. Um, Steve Coogan, who, as you mentioned, is a pretty funny comedic actor. He yeah. does a good job at this understated role and he is very wry and he manages to communicate a lot of, sort of his own contempt for quote-unquote normal people um, with his eyes, with his sort of facial expressions. Um, mm -hmm. Judy Dench also does a great job. I wonder if maybe one of the reasons why this got nominated for Best Picture maybe has something to do with lobbying by the Weinsteins because um, this is the only Weinstein Company film nominated for Best Picture this year. Oh, and and usually the, those guys have a sizable presence at the Oscars. That's true. Um, That's true. So there could have been some lobbying for it. Yeah, I, I think that uh, 
the performances all around are good and and it's it's a sort of a a reliable you know sturdy film it's just kind of it's just a little bit mild uh for my taste and um i think that the the acting all around is is great like as as has been mentioned um but there's something about it that makes me wonder like what is the um what is the thrust of the story um w- one mm. thing that kind of maybe would speak to that is the is the fact that i i was asking myself when it was over who is the main character in this story yeah yeah and if you look at the poster for philomena it's both actors both main main actors are sitting there and you could make a case for either one of them being sort of the the hero, you know, um, because in a way, Steve Coogan's character, he's he does the heroic act by taking on the role of the journalist and trying to find the answer to the story. But on the other hand, Philomena does set the story in motion because she is looking for somebody to help her on this quest. And the film uh, begins with with uh, the journalist, Steve Coogan. And then it ends sort of with both Martin of them. Sixsmith. That's his name, yeah. Sure. And um, so I was just thinking, I wonder if maybe the fact that the focus of the film is split between the two main actors may result in perhaps a perspective that is a little mild overall. Maybe. Maybe. I, I if, if anything, I think it might contribute to the, the kind of sense that we're both getting that they're there you know it's hard to find the thrust it's hard to find you know uh the elements to to really uh like bind you to the story i think that may be because because there are two characters in it that essentially two two characters who share the focus um maybe maybe it's just not well distributed maybe that focus isn't so well distributed and so that's why we end up with a with a uh a lack of a clear sort of thrust because if if you were to take the typical setup you would say that this is Martin Sixsmith's story right mm-hmm. Steve Coogan's character's story because he's we open the film with him sort of sets up that he's kind of a uh, he's sort of been disgraced um, as a BBC reporter mm-hmm. uh, over a, a, a bit of a controversy recently and so he's been kind of thrust out of the limelight to kind of uh take some heat off the bbc and he originally doesn't want to do this piece because it's a human interest story and that's code to him in his circle for you know pablum just like weak yeah for you know, the kind of thing weak for weak-minded vulnerable individuals is what he yeah says. i think that's what he says yeah yeah, yeah. um and and so like the whole setup is kind of setting up his journey, right? That that this is going to be be you know if we're to take sort of the the classical structure of a film, then he's supposed to end up somewhere at the end of the film that's very different from where he began it. Yeah. Um, and he does to some extent, but the film doesn't really conclude with him having 
changed. I mean, like, well, it's not, it's not really, like, it doesn't focus on his, it, it, it I, I guess the focus kind of shifts to Philomena. Yeah, I think that he does undergo a change, but it happens much earlier in the film. It's not like a sort of a 180-degree change. But yeah, it, in fact, it's almost the inciting incident is his change. Yes. Like, it's almost him, like, deciding that this is something that he'll take on. Yeah, and that's one issue that I had with the screenplay of the film, because the screenplay omits the 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 revelation that causes Martin Sixsmith to change because at first he he doesn't want to help Philomena because it's a human interest story and then we see him in his hotel room talking to his wife and he's like hmm i think i will do that story after all and then this the film moves on from there so he does undergo a change early on but the screenwriters for whatever reason do not let us in on what made him change yeah so i, I think that a screenplay can be cunning in that respect, but it it can also sort of leave you feeling a little bit cheated too, if you want to really enjoy like the full dramatic arc of the characters. Right, right, and and perhaps that that leaves us kind of like spinning our wheels for most of the film then, because if he's made that decision, and then he's pretty much on Philomena's side from pretty early on. Mm-hmm. Once he meets her and is sort of charmed by her, kind of eccentricities and all that kind of stuff then then they kind of you know they have their their little tussles here and there and there's a very good scene late in the film when he confronts one of the old nuns at the um at the uh home right the convent uh that that's that's very good where it kind of highlights the differences in in their approaches where philomena is much more measured and understanding and uh, Martin Sixsmith, the non-believer, is kind of like demands accountability and, <laughs> and like you know blasphemously forward, um, yes. seeking out his charges and yeah, yeah. Um, but that's as close as the film really comes to like demarcating how they you know like the sort of deeper lives of these characters. I guess you know like I I and that's right towards the end of the movie. Yeah. Well, and, yeah, I mean, it's that particular scene we see Martin at his most aggressive and mm-hmm. his most, you know, dogged um, attempt to find the answer. And it's it's his most motivated scene, yeah. I think, of the whole film up until that point. And um, in a in a sort of very high minded or intelligent British film such as this one the uh, that simple act of of him leaving the room where he's been put in the convent to wait and then going and finding the person he wants to interview like that is the most that is the most aggressive part of the film and and as you said I mean that to me is the climax of the film as well yeah, yeah. Um, and then we see him basically giving his interrogation and um, I think that it's I mean, Philomena is a very talky film. Not to say that it's boring, but it's the kind of no, movie, no. it's the kind of movie where it's completely dialogue driven, and it's good dialogue. It is. It is. It's nominated for a screenplay Oscar, which I will say is co-written by Steve Coogan himself. Indeed, indeed, and 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 I, I think that it's all handled, I guess, as well as it it could be. There, I just. There's something not there for me. You know, like, there's just something that isn't quite there. Um, I will say, however, that uh, as, a, as a bit of a side note, 
I think that Judy Dench's face is one of the most extraordinary things that I've ever seen. Like, I think that if there was ever a a poster person for not getting plastic surgery done. Interesting. <laughs> I think Judy Dench would be the one because her face is so alive and full of expression and beautiful and every wrinkle and every crease and every curve in her face is just like it's just extraordinary. And and this film spends a lot of time focused on her face and it's magical. Like I think she's just she's such you know, she's a great actress. Everybody mm-hmm. knows that. Um she's also Easy on the eyes. <laughs> Easy on the eyes. Um, well, yeah, she. I mean, she's very beautiful, but but more than that, like she's she is. She looks her age, and it's great. Yeah, I mean, she for somebody, and I don't know exactly what her age is. She's probably around seventy by now. I'm thinking, um, but for somebody who has lived, Andrew's going to look it up right now. Uh, for somebody who who has lived a lot. Um, she doesn't really have, at least not in the, in her film personas, she doesn't have that kind of hardened uh, detachment or or sort of vacant look. She's still very much alive, and yes. and she is she's sparkling, and she's she is excellent in Philomena, and um, I can see what you mean, Andrew, that she's she's very effervescent and and still quite a personality, and and to her credit, she sort of carries this film along with. Steve Coogan, and mm-hmm. you know, they they make they actually make a really great pair. I think they do, and and they're always entertaining to watch, and it's fun. And I think that the the real heart of the film and the and the thing that people respond to and and like most about this is their relationship. You know, the the that's what it that's what it kind of boils down to. Mm-hmm. It's just like the the sort of uh, the kind of kooky, eccentric, sort of small town English. Irish country girl, uh-huh. you know, uh, paired with this sort of like hardline kind of uh, investigative reporter mm-hmm. for the BBC. Exactly, yeah. Like it, it's like it's like it, it's a nice natural sort of contrast of personalities, I, and it plays very well. I know, I know exactly what you're getting at, and I think the reason why films like this get made and get nominated for Best Picture Oscars is because they follow this template basically of the unlikely friendship um, right you've got two people who are seemingly mismatched and then they end up of course understanding each other and growing to love each other whether it's platonic or romantic or whatever right Um, right because you do got these two contrasting personalities it's like it's due date with robert downey jr and zach (laughs) galifianakis you know it's um, it's the same sort of archetypal thing except philomena is much better written and acted Yes, but it's it's a it's an archetypal story, just like a hero g- going on a journey. You know, it dates back a long time ago as kind of like this pr- primordial type structure for a story. Yeah, yeah, and it's and it's uh, routinely successful. Yeah, and the fact that I I didn't think about this before we started talking, but the fact that this is a Weinstein company film. Uh, Makes a lot of sense because it feels like it feels like all those Miramax films from the nineties. Yeah, like you know, which, Shakespeare which, in Love and Shakespeare in Love and that kind of stuff. Like they're fairly formulaic films. Not to say that they're not good films. I mean, Miramax made so many great films in that time. It's it's hard to try and say that they weren't, you know, 
mm-hmm. good. And they and they, I think that they broke some kind of record for number of nominations in you know single year in that amount of time. But they they definitely it's interesting because the Weinstein movies of late, I've felt. And, and I don't know whether this is maybe the the aesthetic is aging uh-huh. or what it is, but they, they've they started to feel a little stale to me. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the King's Speech, for instance, which won a lot of awards a couple of years ago, including Best Picture, unfathomably, <laughs> <laughs> and, and, uh, and Best Director. Was that the for, year of the social network? Yeah. That, unreal. Uh, that... that was to me like a, a great film. It actually, you know, I would say that there's a lot of parallels here mm-hmm. because I think it was an expertly acted film. It was an actor's showcase, if anything. Uh, you know, watching Colin Firth and uh, uh, Jeffrey Rush and Helena Bonham Carter was magical. Like just watching them act mm-hmm. was extraordinary. Uh, but the the direction of that film, I always thought was very pedestrian and very uninteresting. Which and the, the director would later go on to direct one of your most hated films of the year. Lame is possible. Yeah, that was last year. So uh, oh, you can see the uh, so terrible. What's the word? This this seeds of your discontent. Uh, yes, is that the term? They were sown early. Yeah, um, yeah, but it, I mean that that. I think that 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 is a definite parallel here. Mm-hmm. You know, they they it, it, the the Weinstein certainly have a, a a way of making films uh or a way of putting together the group of people who make their films. Mm-hmm. Um or a way of picking up films or you know whatever the case may be that uh that I I feel is is Maybe past its time. Does that well? Does that, um, I mean, well, obviously not. If if they're winning awards and being nominated for Academy Awards left and right, I guess maybe I'm in the minority. But I think that I mean the the Weinstein's or their or the Weinstein Company. I I don't exactly follow every single movie that of theirs that comes out, but to their credit, I mean, they did release the Master, didn't they? That's true. Um, that's true. That's a very good call. And if you if you look at sort of directors in the past who have churned out reliable genre pictures like for example like Billy Wilder you know yeah, yeah. um these are these are people who are you know hollywood filmmakers and and they understand the uh the kind of films that they want to make and and they do a good job of churning them out and i think that um i don't know if yeah, maybe you know, maybe I'm maybe I'm I'm making it too broad a statement for for just a few films that that I've seen in the last little bit because I knew they I know that they do release a lot of stuff every year. They must have been rethinking their role in the business for them to you know dissolve Miramax and then start a new company. You know, um, well I I think it was something something having to do with the being forced out by Disney when Michael Eisner was still there or something like that. Was it like forced out of out from under Disney's wing. Oh, there was a big controversy with why they left, and then they started up the the Weinstein Company, sort of to defy uh, their previous employers. I see, or at least that's the way that I, I saw it. Or not to defy them, but to start a new venture because they couldn't do it 
right. as Miramax anymore. Because I think Disney, when Disney was getting rid of like the ink and paint at 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 Disney Animation, and they were slashing budgets here and there, they were thinking of dropping Pixar, all that kind of stuff. I think Michael Eisner was like making sweeping cuts, and he dissolved Miramax. I see. He like destroyed Miramax, and then they uh, left and and formed the Weinstein Company a few years later. Um, I could be I could be totally wrong about <laughs> listeners. That. If if Andrew is totally <laughs> wrong about that, you can post on our blog. Yeah, you can let us know what the actual history of that is because we're not going to have the time to look it up <laughs> while right. we sit we're, here. We're going on instinct here. Going on instinct, but I, I just remember it, it not being. It was not a an um a, a their their choice necessarily. I um, think that the Weinstein's have a certain demographic that they like to go for. Certainly. Um, maybe maybe if you look at some of their recent films, you can sort of see that they are perhaps they're aging a little bit in terms of their audience. Um, I don't know if the Weinsteins even put out films anymore that are meant to really appeal towards the younger demographic, really. Well, I think I think that they're they're lucky to well not lucky, but they have earned enough clout in the industry and enough you know, sort of power that they can basically do what they want. And what they always sort of tended towards was making interesting artistic, you know, niche films. About adults, you know. About adults, yeah. Adults who are realistically, you know, believable people. Yeah. So, So, yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. But uh, the film itself, I I would recommend it regardless of my reservations i still think it's a, a good and interesting film i think that the the plot of philomena is is a very interesting uh-huh. plot i think i think it's a, a fascinating story but uh you would rather see inside lewin davis in i would rather place. see inside lewin davis or mud or you know several other films that i think were were better films this year uh, you know, the, the, this has a 7.9 rating on IMDb, which is a little bit higher than I would give it. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a damn good rating. And that's, I mean, realistically, it's only going to go down because as, as time goes on and people sort of, more people see the films, it loses freshness. It, it, the ratings tend to go down. When the, yeah, because the, the people who go to see it now are going to be the ones who are really jazzed engaged and and yeah excited about and, it well i remember when the master came out which is the film i obviously like to reference it had yes. like an 8.4 when it premiered at venice and now it's yeah, got yeah. like a totally inadequate 7.1 on imdb <laughs> i just don't get it that's so low that you doesn't guys surprise. i've ah. i've i've talked to so many people who hate that movie i can't even tell you gosh okay <laughs> it makes me so sad but but yeah. so many people all right. Well, alas, what can you do? Alas, alack. Philomena, uh, I give it thumbs up. Although of of the best picture films that I've seen so far, I guess I liked it maybe slightly better than Nebraska. But oh, Philomena, oh, yeah. hurting my heart. <laughs> <God>. <laughs> Please refer to our previous show about Nebraska. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, Philomena is definitely. Definitely a worthwhile film. Maybe you want to red box it later or or what have you. Netflix it. Yeah. But Yeah, yeah. It's uh if if you're if you're major movie nuts like us and you wanna 
fill out the your scorecard for the Oscars and make sure that you've seen everything, then this is certainly worth seeing. I think it's nominated for four Oscars, is yes, that Yes, right? it is. Yeah, actually, Best Screenplay, Best Music by Alexandre Desplat. Yeah, who's an excellent uh, composer. He's, he's um, real busy these days. He's real busy. He's He's gotten nominated several times yeah. in the last few years. And he... Um, He's sort of taken over as Wes Anderson's regular composer yeah. when he's not using source music. Yep. So, in fact, Wes Anderson's upcoming film, The Grand Budapest Hotel, has next to no source music, and it's mostly just compositions by Desplats. So. Excellent. I'm looking forward to it. That'll be a good discussion. Yes, I'm excited <laughs> too. Anytime a Wes Anderson movie comes out. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's, uh, yeah. So, uh, picture, actress, screenplay adapted uh-huh. and best original score yeah. are the four that it's nominated for. So it's definitely going to fill out a little bit of your, your Oscar scorecard there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that we both, we both liked it, but I can't say that I loved it. Yeah. I didn't love it either, but you got, you know, it is quite different from the other films nominated this year. <laughs> For best Very much so. So it, Very it, much it's so. kind of refreshing and, and intelligent. So, well, I feel like the I feel like the Oscars almost now that they've gone to nine slash ten nominations right. every year. I feel like they sort of hold a place for a movie like this every year. Like you know, there's always space for like a little bit more low key focused kind of character study kind of a movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, more so than you know, like. Gravity and uh, uh, Captain Phillips and like you know the sort of bigger, uh, yeah. which we'll be talking about. Those <laughs> mention those and those are the next ones we'll be talking about. Right. But uh, uh, after the Dallas Buyers Club, of yeah. course. Speaking of which, in our next show, we'll be talking about Dallas Buyers Club uh, with Matthew McConaughey in his uh, revelatory performance. Mm. Uh, serious weight loss too. Serious weight loss, weight loss, uh, dedication to the role, and uh, and Jared Leto in his almost assuredly <laughs> Oscar-winning performance. Yeah, uh, his first film that he had made in I think seven years or something like that. Something like that. Yeah, he'd just been off playing rock and roll music. Yeah, or emo, screamo, depending on what your perspective is on his band. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, we'll be talking about Dallas Buyers Club, which um, has uh, garnered a number of nominations as well and has a lot of momentum going into the awards. So uh, I definitely hope you'll join us for that. I actually earlier thought that the best actor category for the Oscars was was kind of uh, sort of up for grabs. But now I'm thinking that it yeah. may be going... Almost. It's looking less and less likely that it will be anybody other than Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> Basically, yeah, yeah. I, I think, and I think a big part of that, we'll talk about this next time around, but I think a big part of that is uh, because of the transformation he's made as an actor. Sure, physically. I think, well, not just physically, but but in terms of choice of roles in the, like, the last two or three years. Oh, in I terms see. Of, like, you know, he, this is the same guy who did Failure to Launch and... and Fool's Gold, and people are like, "What? What happened? This is great. Yeah. We love this. Oh, I love Matthew McConaughey now. Wish he would have gotten nominated for Mud. Yeah, but... Mud's a great movie. <laughs> All right, so uh, join us next time, and we'll talk about the Dallas Buyers Club 
Thanks for listening. Have a great one.